Hey, it's Diana and Susanna, your favorite global health scientists. And you're listening to Global Caveat. Today, we're going to talk about how to engage youth, how to address sustainability, and how to start intergenerational dialogues. Love that. Yes. Before we get started, we want to thank all our supporters who make Global Caveat possible. We appreciate your shares, your money, your subscriptions, and your reviews. You can become a Contagion by signing up as a patron for as little as $1 a month. This season, we have new content on Patreon. We will be hosting two Q&A sessions every month, one with us, your favorite scientists, and one with different guests we've had on the show. If you have any burning questions, requests, or things you'd like to ask with the privacy of anonymity, this is for you. Yes, now let's dive right in. Today's episode, we'll be talking with Belinda Chu. She is a grassroots beast, a public health professional, and an advocate to ultimately save the planet. Hi, Belinda. Uh, Thanks for being on Global Caveat. We're super excited to have you. If you could introduce yourself, um, just tell us briefly who you are and then some contact info if people want to reach out to you. Sure. So my name is Belinda Chu. Um, I went to school at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. I graduated with a Master of Science in Public Health degree with a concentration in Social and Behavioral Interventions back now it's like three years ago. Um, So I have experience in qualitative research. And when I first got started in public health, I had also started a sustainability blog called A Healthy Blueprint to serve as an online resource for people looking for tips and tricks to lower their environmental footprints. Um, It was tailored more towards people living in cities like New York City, just because I was born and raised in New York City. Um, And yeah, it's kind of blossomed into more than just the blog and now it's become sort of an online platform where um, I've hosted an event um, this past month in September which I'm happy to share more about later on but if people wanted to learn more about a healthy blueprint they can check out my website Um, it's called ahealthyblueprint.com or check me out on Instagram Uh, they can just search up a healthy blueprint okay awesome and what do you do now other outside of working on the whole sustainability thing? Yeah, so um, I'm currently working full-time at a global advocacy organization for gender equality and the sexual and reproductive health and rights of girls and women, and I serve on the youth engagement team. Awesome. Okay. It's like a nice wide variety of things, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I'm excited to get to know a little bit more about how you got to where you are now. What got you interested in public health and how did you get there? Sure. Um, so back in undergrad, I was actually on a pre-medical track because growing up in an Asian household, <laughs> it's kind of like you have a certain track that you're meant to fulfill. You need to go into a medical track to become a doctor. You need to become an engineer. You need to become a lawyer. So the one that made the most sense to me at the time was becoming a doctor And I had gone through most of my pre-med track and I did a volunteer abroad with a nonprofit organization called You Belong. And I stayed with a host family in Ecuador where my host mother actually woke up really early in the morning just to boil large vats of water every morning. So the rest of the household and myself would have potable water to drink. So that was kind of my first 
experience with a public health issue. And I realized that I come from a life of privilege because New York City, we can drink the tap water straight out of the sink. Um, And that's when I realized I wanted to be part of a movement and part of a part of a group of people who would be treating a problem um, at the prevention instead of treating uh, let me rephrase that. So like doctors typically will treat a problem when they see the symptoms, but I want to be able to be at the prevention side and, and address something at the start before anything happens. Yeah. yeah. That's, it's yeah. funny you're talking about, um, your, <laughs> how you got there. Cause that's exactly how it was for me too. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was pre-med track and then I was like, eh, I think I want to do it more systems level stuff. And that's mm-hmm. how I got into public health. Wait, I like that. It's the same for all three of us. Cause I was also <laughs> told from birth to be a doctor. Right. And yeah. then I went and then I was like, no, no wrong. Back, backtrack. Right. <laughs> went to public health. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's probably a lot of, um, yeah. other Asian kids who <laughs> feel similar. Yeah. 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 That's funny. I was like, oh, it sounds like I've heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel like you've mentioned you were in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were some other countries that you've also worked in. Yeah. Um, so through my program at school, I because I was in the International Health Department, we had the opportunity to do work abroad. And I was lucky enough to receive a research grant to conduct my own qualitative research in Mexico. So I was in a small town in, um, in Jalisco, Mexico, where I conducted a study just to explore perceptions and, um, and knowledge about this plant called the Moringa oleifera plant, which is perceived and also known as the drumstick tree or arbol de la vida or tree of life. Um, and in the community, I learned that the tree or the plant was, it's perceived as a weed just because it grows so well and so, um, yeah, it grows so easily. You don't need to take care of it. it it's great in semi-arid um, tropical climates. Um, people have known that plant to be used for treating diabetes, for preventing cancer, for reducing cholesterol, all of those great things. So I wanted to see whether, because Mexico is one of the countries which has high levels of um, obesity, whether they can choose this vegetable as a potential nutritional component to their diets. Mm-hmm. So um, because it's so readily available in their town, I wanted to see whether they'd be willing to try it, using it and incorporating it into their diet. So what I was doing was I went into the community, um, developed rapport with the community members and asked them about what they currently know about the Moringa plant and then asked them if they'd be willing to serve as consultants mm-hmm. to basically try using the Moringa leaves as a food component within their meals. So I had targeted women um, with children and ask them, hey, if I give you leaves, will you try preparing foods with them or drinks or whatever you can think of and come back to me and tell me how your experiences were? And they were really receptive. I had some really good feedback. The main hurdles were that some um, boys in the family felt that, oh, vegetables are gross. I don't want to try something no. new, <laughs> um, which is something that's common in a lot of um, families. Yeah. It's not just in Mexico. So um, what I got out of it was that 
people know a lot about the moringa plant as a medicinal component, but not really as a nutrition, um, not a nutritional add-on. Um, I'm hoping that more research will be done and more people will know about moringa because now we see in some um, some health food stores, even in the U.S., that moringa is now the superfood oh. because you can see it in the powder form. Sometimes you can see it sold as seeds. But we want to make it more known that, hey, you can eat as a dietary supplement, especially in places where obesity is very prevalent. Does it have a taste? No, it's actually really mild. And I had interviewed someone and she had said that she's willing to substitute cilantro and, and use moringa instead, which I thought was really interesting because cilantro has such a strong flavor and I'm not a fan of cilantro. Yeah. So I was like, hey, if you want to substitute for that, I'm all for that. <laughs> That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever tried uh, the moringa. Mm-hmm. Moringa. Huh. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So you did that in Mexico. How long were you in Mexico for? I was there for the summer. And then the following fall in October, I had gone to Cambodia for another practicum experience where I was working with an NGO called the Cambodian Community Dream Organization. Mm-hmm. I had done some formative research as um, part of class requirements just to see what are the needs of the organization because they wanted to pilot a community gardens program, but they needed some expertise from a public health standpoint. So I came in and helped them initiate that program and it's really taken off since then. And while I was there, since I was considered their public health officer, they also wanted to relaunch their women's health program. So because I had some research background, I helped them develop a baseline survey for the current knowledge, attitudes, and practices for what the women in the communities outside of CM knew about different health topics from hygiene and sanitation, nutrition, um, gender-based violence, uh, menstruation, uh, contraception, all of those things. And with the knowledge that we gathered, with the data that we gathered, we were able to tailor workshop curricula for them. And I was there for only three months, but I was able to see the start of the nutrition workshops take off. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's really great that you got to be part of like multiple different facets of the community and like see, mm-hmm. it's amazing to see the garden and like make that kind of program, but also the other aspects of things. Oh yeah. yeah. The, the garden program was actually um, one way to build sustainability within the community because yeah. they originally came came in to work with three rural schools outside of CM Reap to help promote um, children to go to school for free or for really low cost. So there was an issue with getting children to go to school because um, they didn't have breakfast. So Mm -hmm. as a way to motivate the children to go to school and help the families relieve them of um, trying to feed their children before they go to school, we offered them free breakfast. But as a way to get buy-in from the community members, they were thinking of, oh, so what's a way to get community buy-in, get them to invest? If they don't have the money, how else can they contribute? Since a lot of people in the community outside of CM Reap are farmers, they would be able to donate fruits and vegetables. So we employed Mm -hmm. them as as farmers to help donate their in-kind donations through vegetables to help supplement the breakfast program. That's cool. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Such... Such simple solutions, yeah, right? Yeah, it makes sense for the community, fits in that setting, solves lots of problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Public health. Ah, yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. So you said that it's really taken off since you were there. So do you know um, where they're at now? So the last time I spoke with them, they were working with hotels in Siem Reap to see whether oh. they can partner and have the 
the community gardeners essentially help provide the salad supply. So if they were to grow lettuce and tomatoes, they would provide that. And I know one of their long-term goals was to be essentially the organic suppliers of Siem Reap. So they have a large market that we would often go to just to see because they sell so many goods and, and produce. So essentially, they wanted the rural Cambodians to be the organic suppliers and the ones who are growing those things. So either supplying stuff for the organic market or supplying things for the hotels. That was where it last is. And actually, um, my boss, the executive director, is in the U.S. right now doing some fundraising and doing some leadership programs. Oh. So I'm hoping I get to see him next week. That's awesome. Wow. I'm, I like, I want to do those projects. Yeah, that sounds like... <laughs> It sounds like so much fun. It's like, it, I feel like it's so nice to see something like that actually yeah. work out and then be able to grow and impact the whole community like that and, you know, improve livelihoods about like everyone and increase all of the like internal local work and everything. Oh, it's amazing. I'm, I'm like, I think that's so great. Yeah. I tried to, um, not to like totally derail, but I tried to help start a, um, a livelihood sustainability farming program co-op in Italy with one of the Mm -hmm. cast centers there, which is where the asylum seekers stay. But it was so complicated with all the politics because like you can't register certain people. Mm -hmm. You can't like you have to have like a certain organ, like certain types of places registered as like the farming land. And then like the money has to be in this weird like circles and circles and circles and funnels to actually get back to the people that needed it or like we're trying to do all of the work and it just ended up not Mm -hmm. being sustainable and couldn't actually function because there was too many stops and walls in the way so it'd be cool to see it actually work out yeah (laughs) i think it's interesting too because i think when people think about science in general they're like oh it's can it be reproducible and generalizable like anywhere and everywhere and with Mm -hmm. global health you can't really do that it's very specific to you know things have to fall into place so i think it's really cool that you have this base in mexico and then you were able to go to cambodia and you know, also have the sustainable intervention workout. But then you see Italy where they have something yeah. similar and it's just like, it's not going to happen here. <laughs> so, I, yeah, yeah, it's just really interesting. And I think that it really speaks to how complicated public health is in a lot of ways for such simple solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Gosh, I want to get to know more about like all these projects. Yeah. But <laughs> we, should, we should move on. <laughs> um, so you said you work with women and kids primarily, right? Um, so I worked with women for these um, programs or and this research, but um, I've also worked with young people through uh, my professional okay. job. So you've kind of transitioned from working yeah. with women during your academic training, but then now you work mostly with, child- with mm-hmm. the youth? Yeah, so by youth, we define it as anyone between the ages of 15 and 28. So these are young people who are change makers, who are um, advancing policies in gender equality in their countries. So um, they can be anywhere from founders of organizations, they can be researchers, they can be activists, they can be middle middle level, beginner level um, staff members in organizations, uh, people who are just passionate about gender equality and making sure that they're addressing all the issues that are prevalent in in their communities. And how how did you find this type of work from coming from things that were more like related to sustainability and nutrition and then moving towards um, gender equality type of work? Yeah, I mean, it kind of, I feel like it just kind of happened serendipitously. Um, I didn't study nutrition per okay. se in grad school. It just happened that I 
got a research grant to work on a nutrition project. And then when I went to Cambodia, that was something that I was working on too. So it ended up being a really great interest of mine. And then the first job that I got out of um, grad school was also on meaningful youth engagement, which is something that I believe really strongly in now that I've been here for almost two years. And then part of it is gender equality, working with women. So something that I really resonated with because women, girls and women are usually seen as like the beneficiaries of programs and now that I've worked with them, it's mm. clearly not the case. They are more than just that. They are experts in their own right. They know what they need, and we need to be engaging them in the areas where yeah. they see there's a need. So, well, how, how has that been working with youth, and then specifically girls and women, yeah. and on various projects? Yeah. So, I guess it's hard to describe because in my capacity, I'm more supporting them. Like with our program, we're focusing on making sure we give them the platform. So they already are advocates and activists in their own right. They know what they need. We're here to give them the resources and give them the platform. So maybe they need help opening doors. Maybe they need a little bit of funding to get to uh, a national or an international conference. So we're helping to give them that. Maybe they need a little bit of capacity building skills. So we help them. We help train them with that. Other things are if they need funding, we provide seed funding for some of the programs that um, that they're working on so they can advance their advocacy issues. So a lot of the ways that it's similar between serving and working with young people and, and working with girls and women is that we've often seen them as beneficiaries or people that need saving. And we kind of need to shift that kind of narrative because we know that they are the ones that are on the front lines. They see the problems that are happening in their communities and it's not fair and it's not right for external parties, mm-hmm. people from the global north, for example, to fly into a country and implement changes mm-hmm. that we think that they need without actually involving them from the very beginning and asking them what their issues are, asking what their solutions they have in mind and seeing how mm-hmm. we can integrate and marry yeah. the two. So being able to work with them and saying, hey, what do you need? What are the issues you care about? How can we support you? How can we work with you? That's so important. And I never realized this when I was... Um, when I was younger, even though I'm still young now, um, when I would go to events and when I would see panels, um, I would see maybe maybe there wouldn't be any young people on panels and maybe there would be one. But if they were on panels, they would only serve as a moderator, for example, or they would just be there as like a token young person and they didn't engage them in a way of yeah. they're the expert in their field. They're not called on to talk about the, their work. And the same goes with women. Sometimes you don't see any women on panels and we, we need to have we need yes. to stop having all male panels. We need to have more um, gender-inclusive panels because people of, of all genders, of the entire spectrum, need yeah. to be engaged. People of all ages need to be engaged because this generation, um, the millennials, Gen X, they're just amazing, and we need to be talking to them more and listening to them. Like, we've seen, I'm sure you've seen everywhere in the U.S., around the world, we've seen the global climate yeah. movement led by young yeah. people, which is so inspiring. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I love how you said we need to shift our lens from seeing women and girls or youth in general um, as beneficiaries and really start putting in the front lines, like entrusting with entrusting them with the responsibility that you can lead and impact change or just, you know, mm-hmm. be a lead on a project or an intervention yeah. or be the voice 
or something you know because yeah it's so true like we if you go on any kind of global health or public health website and you look at the women and girls Mm -hmm. or child section it's usually all programs Mm -hmm. on like how can we help them we don't see anything where they're um yeah where they're the lead or the voice for any of these things yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i also i think it's interesting to try to get more youth on different panels i recently i we're in New York. You obviously know it was just UNGA, which is the UN General Assembly, which means the yep. city is taken over by everyone and everyone in the world. <laughs> in, the U- in the UN and yeah. UN affiliates and, you know, very difficult. Any- anyone that just like knows the grid system of New York, just know that it's basically becomes very congested and difficult to get anywhere for a week. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the organization I work at hosted a side event and it was on mental health and adolescence. And I think it's fascinating that you were saying mm-hmm. that we need to get more people, like more women, more youth on panels because there were two youth advocates on the panel, but it was so obvious by the end of mm-hmm. the panel that the like people that are in power positions in organizations mm-hmm. weren't necessarily listening to them and like listening to the youth on the panel where they were like, oh, what you're doing is really great. You're being a great advocate. You're being a great liaison. You're like doing all this work in your high school, in your college and things like that are in the community. And mm-hmm. then when people were like asking questions about like, oh, what can we do to do more youth engagement? All of the people at like the high level UN agencies or different organizations or different country like ministries, they would have answers like, oh, we're doing this. Oh, we're doing that. And I'm just sitting there being like, that's not engaging them. You're like, we've created these programs. And like, yeah. oh, you're thinking it's this. I'm like, you're so detached from the issue. Like there's literally someone sitting next to you that's saying that's not how to do it. And you still don't hear it, which is just yeah. right. So yeah. I think it's just like so interesting. Your focus has been more on children in like the having the uh, helping with getting a community to understand like the importance of having kids go to school and then also working with youth engagement. But then also mm-hmm. like youth engagement so complicated because what was the age range? Like 15 to 28 for our program. That's that's mm-hmm. wild, right? That That's the definition of youth. <laughs> like That's like mm-hmm. such that's a like large range. And- Gen Z. It's like, kids. oh, yeah, right, yeah. Gen Z. I, I messed up before. Gen X, Gen I don't Z. know the difference. I don't know what the names are for all the generations, but like, it's so complicated like, <laughs> to try to yeah. figure out how to engage and get each one of those. But then there are so many of them making impact and being the voices and being outspoken. Right. We hear them, but we don't mm-hmm. hear them. And yeah, I think that's a really good point, Diana, that it's like really complicated. Like, that age range is pretty interesting 15 to 28 i mean like i'm over here still trying to stay relevant with visco girl i I honestly still don't understand what that is and i recently found out it's visco you don't say vsco um well i was today years old when i found out (laughs) and i still don't get it but then like but those like the the people who are in the loop with that kind of stuff they're the 15 to like what 20 right now and um a lot of them are doing really great work yeah. and maybe we should just put on a forum where we teach older people how to listen <laughs> yeah and encourage intergenerational yeah. dialogue that's a great term Inter- intergenerational dialogue yeah i'm gonna use that mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really great um, <laughs> and you've also done some environmental work as well Kind of yeah. like at the grassroots level through my sustainability blog. It's just because I, I mean, I see the pollution in New York. Yeah. I, I see people litter on the streets. It's just, uh, 
oh my goodness, I was at a store the other day and just, I was online at the cashier and someone just like spat on the ground indoors and oh, in, indoors. <laughs> indoors. And I was just appalled and just people don't know etiquette <laughs> and, and just general cleanliness of like how to take care of our environment and our surroundings. So, um, I just, I guess that's why, that's part of the reason why I wanted to yeah. start my sustainability blog of just what are things that the general public, the average person can do to sort of lower their environmental footprint, to reduce their impact. So things that I've done um, at my office, for example, is um, with TerraCycle, they have these zero waste programs and I wear contacts, but I hate the fact that it produces so much waste. Our contacts itself, itself is made from plastic. So they collect um, the blister packs as well as the contacts. So I started a collection drive at at my office. So other contact wearers in my office are um, depositing it in our box. And then when it gets full, we, we send it off to TerraCycle and it's free. So small things like that. And then kind shifting the the single stream recycling in our office to separate the blue and the green recyclables is something that I also started because I don't know who came up with the genius idea of doing single stream recycling for the convenience of people in the U.S., but um, it obviously taints the supply of both plastics yeah. and, and um, paper. So being able to separate that and kind of doing small things like that. We organized our Recycling 101 workshop back in the fall and our, our colleagues really enjoyed it. So doing small things like that, the average person can do that. They just need to, they just need to take the initiative. I had no idea about the contact. Yeah, I want, I'm, I'm going to start doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I wear contacts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my conscience is kicking in. I'm like, oh my god, I contributed so much right. to <laughs> Especially if you wear daily contacts, every single blister yeah, pack is like wow. added waste, you know? Do you know if it's only in New York where they do the collection for contact lenses? No, it should be nationwide because um, I've shared it with other people. And you just have to sign up if you want to sign your office up, for example. Um, you get the oh. free shipping labels and oh. that's how I've been able to do it. I know they have other zero waste boxes that you would pay for, but I know at least for the contacts, it's free. That's great to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And earlier, you mentioned that you had an event or something. Was that with like how I was just talking about a UNJ thing? Is that was that re- related or intertwined or anything? Because like that whole concept and the whole week's topic was climate change, which is perfect for sustainability and environment. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with my organization, I actually got to go to a youth and public mobilization briefing with the UN Climate Action Summit um, team. And they were inviting civil society organizations if they wanted to host an event to submit proposals mm-hmm. for a solution showcase. And I reached out to them and said, hey, you know, my organization's not specifically focused on climate and sustainability, but can I as an individual, if I work with partners, mm-hmm. can I submit an event? So I did one and um, mine was accepted as a side event um, in support of the UN Youth Climate Summit. So I ended up hosting one in September, the day after the Youth Climate Summit. So I had a really packed weekend. Um, I went to the Climate March on Friday. I went to the Youth Climate Summit on behalf of my organization. And then I organized an event on that Sunday. And it was actually on showcasing solutions on food waste management and reduction in New York City. So um, I had reached out to a number of food waste partners um, just to ask them, hey, you know, I love the work that you're doing. I think food waste is something that we need to be tackling. And I love the fact that you are on the front lines of doing that and engaging with different members of the community within New York City. Can you come in and talk about your work and educate anyone who might not know about your organization and 
share with them um, how they can get involved. So um, we shared it on for the Climate Week NYC with the climate group. We shared it with the uh, Youth Climate Summit attendees and then also just on other platforms just to see who would show up. And it was a really great crowd. People were really engaged. We had we had a school teacher who had taught for 30 years. We had um, students who had just graduated from school who, oh my God, it was such a dynamic conversation. And I, I feel like they've gotten a lot out of it and and we did a feedback survey still getting some responses on on what they thought but we had some really great speakers and some really great conversations that followed after i wish i was there um it sounds like you have a lot of different like connections or you're engaged with a lot of different organizations around the city and throughout the city do you like is that something that you do regularly do you find that that like helps with being more engaged and more involved with youth is it more like youth centric or do you kind of do like work with the entire community type of organizations like outside of your own organization you work at yeah so um the food waste topic was something i was toggling between two topics between food waste and plastic pollution and i know that plastic pollution has been on the front page of a lot of um, media outlets for a while but food waste is something that's not really being addressed and obviously food waste is a big contributor to global warming when the food ends up in the landfills and ends up producing methane. So I thought it would be a perfect opportunity to enlighten some folks who might not be mm-hmm. as aware. So um, I had reached out to some um, people in my networks. I had gone to a sustainability startup panel and reached out to um, Angel Veza, who is part of an organization. Um, she's working with hospitality industry to see okay. if they can reduce their food waste. Um, I reached out to Barbara Lee of Trash Talking with Eco Warriors. It's another podcast. And she had a number of food waste partners on her on her podcast. And I was like, hey, hey, do you mind connecting me with so-and-so? I'd love to get in touch with them to see if they would be Mm -hmm. um, interested in participating in this event. Mm -hmm. So things like that. Um, We also had a New York City food waste fair that happened back in May. So I had also reached out to people just from that. And I guess people who are just passionate about the topics or really engaged and really wanted to participate. And that's what I really like about this community. Like people want to do good and people want to be engaged and want to share this information because they care. And that's what I love about the nonprofit space, public health space, people in this whole sector, because we all just want to help the world. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, um, you're like this grassroots, like beast. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I have too many ideas sometimes and it just like escapes my head. I'm, I'm trying to like tame myself. (laughs) <laughs> but it's it's great, right? Because I f- you have you like started the context thing. You're doing like food waste stuff, and then you reach out to people for big big events like the um, the summit, and you put together your own little um, side event for it. And it's just it's really wonderful to see. Yeah, thank um, you. Yeah, and it's like I mean, um, like you're you're really bringing these ideas out there. But what I really love is that you're reaching out to people. Yeah. And you're saying, hey, like, work with me on this. Like, would you want to? And then people who do care about these issues, they're on board and they're willing to put in their time to make these things happen. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. I, I think that's really awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you're you're a grassroots beast. Like <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, is there anything else that we haven't talked about yet that you would really like to mention or talk about? Hmm. I mean, I I just want people to not feel like one person can't make a difference like I often feel that way because I'm just one person but then I saw a post I don't know if it was on Facebook or Instagram 
um, with the with the quote saying like one person can't make a difference or like I'm only one person, and then we see someone like Greta Thunberg who literally drove the movement of climate action around the world.、Mm-hmm. So things like that really puts me in check and makes me think like, okay, you need to stop saying that to yourself and stop making yourself feel like you're not doing enough. And I don't know. There's a lot of setbacks when you see or when you talk to people and they just seem like they're not interested in sustainability or the environment, but I feel like when you have those moments of aha, and when someone reaches out to you personally and asks you like, "Hey, I want to recycle like nail polish. How do I safely dispose of this? Because I don't want this in the landfills." One of my colleagues says, "I want to take care of my health. How do I sort of transition myself away from plastics in my home?" Small things like that. When they reach out to me, it kind of gives me hope、mm-hmm. because I feel like、yeah. what I'm doing. Sometimes I don't know if I'm reaching a wide enough audience. I I don't have a lot of followers, and I'm not going for that. I just want to make sure that I'm impacting a few people. And when、yeah. people reach out to me for those, um, for those tips, like it really means a lot to me, and it feel it makes me feel like I'm doing something that's worthwhile. And I、yeah. I want um other people to feel that way, and I don't want people to feel discouraged just because there's like. Opposing forces in the government, for example, or other people within our networks who might not seem to care or might be apathetic to the future because they don't see it in their immediate.、Um, I don't know who don't see it on the horizon that it's something that they need to care about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think. I mean, there's so many movements out there that are really hot on social media, <coughs>、mm-hmm. but that's it, right? Like when you actually look at it in real time,、mm-hmm. it doesn't go that far,、mm-hmm. but. Something as small as like an office setup to dispose your contacts. Yeah, like, that goes pretty far. I feel, I feel like. And those things, like in the day to day, like office space, are also like、mm-hmm. the things that are causing ripple effects, right? Because those people like、yeah. are seeing that and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to change it here." And then who knows who's who's seeing the change they've made in their home and the other、mm-hmm. things that they've done, and it continues、mm-hmm. on. Yeah. A lot of times on social media, people are like, "That looks cool," and continue scrolling. Right.、Mm-hmm. They don't. It、mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily. Impact it, whereas you can, like, even if you see one person change, I feel like that's a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah.、Uh, one last question. Yeah. That yeah. I had thought about.、Um, so, how do you? What's your advice for older people、mm. in engaging with the younger people? Mm. <laughs> mm, that's such a good one.、Um, I would love for older generations to listen to the young people because, at least in terms of sustainability and the future of our planet, we are the ones who are inheriting. The planet from them. So、yeah. any mistakes that older generations have done in the past, like we'll forgive them if they choose to listen to us and if they are willing to get on board with whatever we want to do. So we're obviously in a climate emergency right now, a global climate emergency.、Yeah. We're seeing unnatural disasters. I don't want to call them natural disasters anymore because they're happening so frequently and it's not natural anymore.、Um, the temperatures are rising. We Like we have heat waves, people are dying.、Um, I hate mosquitoes, and there are so many more mosquitoes <laughs> even now in October, and that's not normal.、Um, so things like that. And if they're not willing to listen to us, they need to step aside and put us in in leadership positions so we can、yeah. so we can make the changes that we need to see. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. In the nicest way possible. <laughs> <laughs> and old rich people should give young people money. Yeah. Yeah. And they should donate to these. Profit organizations, right? Yeah. yeah. We have a lot of work to do. Yeah. But I'm hopeful. I I want to be optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we get through, right? Like we're like we can do this. Yes. <laughs> we'll get through it. Yeah. 
And that's the episode. Thank you so much, Belinda, for talking with us. As a reminder, you can reach her at ahealthyblueprint.com or on our Instagram at ahealthyblueprint. And the resources and transcript for this episode are on the website. As a reminder, if you have any questions, you can always reach us at globalcaveat at gmail.com or on Instagram or Twitter at globalcaveat. And thank you to all of our listeners and supporters for helping this podcast run. And a special thanks to Cordell Glass for producing our music. Thanks for listening.